Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Um, it is a, a true statement that none of us would be here if it weren't for our moms. Um, and yet, I know that uh, the call of God on us as Christians is to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. And a day like Mother's Day brings lots of stuff with it. Um, and so I just want to say to you that if you're a mom, we honor you. Uh, we're so thankful for you. If you enjoy a close connection to or a warm relationship with your mom, um, we celebrate with you. We are so, so thankful for that. We also know that there are people here who have recently lost their moms. Uh, there are some in our, in our room today that don't enjoy the kind of relationship that they long to have with their moms. Um, maybe as a, as a mom yourself, the relationship with your kids is complicated and hard. And we just want to say to you that just as we rejoice with those who rejoice, we stand with you and we pray for you. I find my heart every day, every year on Mother's and Father's Day, um, warm to the things that are warm and aware of all the complexity in the room. It just doesn't do us any good to not name that complexity when we come into a space like this. And so moms, I speak blessing over you. Um, my mom is probably watching online. Mom, I love you. I'm thankful for you. But those of you whose hearts are heavy, I just want to say it's okay for your heart to be heavy today. Loss is real, and it hurts, and it's painful. Um, speaking of moms, we're going to pray for some little people in our church now um, who have moms. And so if we could have our couple of families come up here. Uh, Jesus uh, had a habit of taking little kids in his arms and speaking words of blessing over them. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to pray for a couple of little folks. Uh, here's what, what I think I know. Um, I feel almost certain. The, the two, are we praying for two? Just the smallest today, correct? So I am almost 100% sure both of these kids are illiterate. Um, I don't think they earn uh, very much money, if anything. They are, however, both cute enough that they might potentially earn some money, but I think they're broke. And we live in a world that values power and success or looks at little young people as people who are potentially powerful and successful. And Jesus looks at us in a completely different way. When Jesus took kids in his arms and spoke blessing over them in the Gospels, he was essentially saying what we're going to say in Jesus' name today, which is that these kids hold the image of God and are worthy of God's full blessing and our celebration. So in a world that increasingly just sees power, significance, position, when we bless kids in front of the whole church, we are actually saying something not just to them, but to you which is that you are an image-bearing child of God regardless, period, full stop. That's Jesus. So let's pray for these kids, okay? What's this little one's name? This is Elizabeth. How old is Elizabeth? She is almost five months. Elizabeth has the most luxurious hair. <laughs> and we're going to pray for Elizabeth as a church family. We just put our hands in Jesus' name on Elizabeth, and we bless you. We are so thankful for the heart of God for this little one. And we pray, God, for your blessing and your care and your love to be with her all the days of her life. We just welcome you in Jesus' name. We bless big sister and big brother as well. God bless you guys. Amen. Bless you, little one. <laughs>
What's this little fella's name? This is Miles. Miles, how old is he? He is 15 months. Hey, Miles. Miles, do you have a big sister behind you? Hi. What's this one's name? I know we're not, we're, we've already done the work. Marie, how old are you, Marie? You're three and you're a big sister, aren't you? Let's pray for a little Miles. Miles, I just place my hand on you and bless you in Jesus' name. <laughs> and I thank you, God, for this little fella. And I ask, God, that you would lead him and watch over him and bless him. And we're so grateful. Miles, we just speak blessing over you. In the love of God, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. So thankful for y'all. Let's welcome these little people to our church. Our oldest just graduated from college this last weekend. And so uh, they were like that size yesterday. And uh, I got some grown adults in, in, my, in my house. Well, they're not in my house anymore, which is even more bizarre. Uh, so I'm always feeling my feelings when I pray for little people. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 14. I am so, so excited about this text and this passage. If you've been at Trinity over the last couple of weeks, we've been in this middle portion of John's gospel listening to Jesus say some really, really important stuff. And this uh, passage we're going to read now uh, is a part of the same conversation and teaching moment that we read last week. And so last week in John, we read Jesus say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Before that, he talked about you and me as sheep and him as a shepherd. Uh, he described threats against our well-being and that he was here to provide for us and protect us. Um, all of this is really a part of the same thing. And I, I just want to, I want to affirm the integration. Uh, when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that comes right after him telling his friends something that confused them and really made them feel afraid. And so before we read and pray, I just want to say this. All of us at one point or another, as we live our lives with God, will enter seasons where we feel confused. It's just the nature of people to be confused. Uh, we, like sheep, have limited capacity and understanding, and sometimes life leads us down roads that don't make a lot of sense to us. Sometimes we find ourselves thinking it was going to go one way, and then it's going another way. That's precisely where the disciples are. And so today, if you feel a little bit of that confusion, I just want to say Jesus is he's speaking to you. He's speaking to people who are uh, worried and a little bit confused. And so I just want to say to you, if you're there... And if you're not there, you will be there at some point because we hit those places. Uh, this is a really, really important word from, from Jesus. So I'm going to read, and then we're going to pray. It's a little bit of a longer passage. Uh, in the first service, they had only 15 to 21, and I read all the way to 31. Uh, and we're just going to do that again. Uh, you're just going to get to see it on the screen because I think it's actually important to hear everything Jesus is saying. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father, 
and you and me, and I and you. And then they who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them. And listen to this. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'm coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the father because the father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe. I will no longer talk much more with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me, but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. Rise, let us be on our way. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Let's try to hear Jesus. God, we asked today that you would help us to be truly here, to be really present here. Jesus, we, we want to hear you. We pray that you would help us to hear your words to us today in light of your words to your friends 2,000 years ago, these words that have been faithfully and beautifully recorded for us. We pray, God, that we would hear why you said the things you said to those friends. And because of that, we pray that we would grab on to these words in our own moment, in our own day and age. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Jesus has just told his friends that he's going to die. Uh, He's just told his friends that he's going to the cross, and they are hurt. Uh, They're bewildered. They're terribly confused. This um, teaching moment from Jesus comes directly on the heels of the Last Supper, and so Jesus won't eat with his friends. It's why at the very end he says, "Um, my my time is short. I won't be with you much longer. Jesus is actually giving his friends a look into what's about to happen next, and they don't like it. Um, They actually are so thrown off by it that two of them question Jesus. They they're basically like, say, what are you talking about? Peter in one gospel says, like, even if everybody runs away from you, I won't run away from you. And Jesus tells this close friend of his, he's like, actually, Peter, you are going to run away. You're going to disappoint yourself. You're going to disappoint um, me. You're going to hurt me as you hurt yourself. But there's a way forward for you. And these words, and it's so important that we hear these words in light of that conversation. These words don't happen to the disciples in a moment where they're feeling great about things. These moment, this moment of teaching doesn't come. And, and specifically last week's text, the, one, the ones right before this in John 14 about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. Those words all come to the friends of Jesus when they are super discouraged, disoriented, and confused. They're all stuck. And Jesus says to them, follow me. The beginning of this passage is actually really, really important. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. And 
those words, if they were just taken by themselves, right? Like, if you really love me, you're going to do what I tell you. Uh, Apart from what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, if we just hear his words about obedience, we're tempted to default to a kind of like grit your teeth, white knuckle, hold on, do the right thing, even when you don't feel like doing the right thing kind of spirituality. And some of us have lived that kind of spirituality, and it's exhausting. That kind of spirituality, um, obedience without the help, is like driving a car with no fuel in it. I mean, you, you can do that. I mean, you could get in a car and push it around. Um, my, my family and I, um, one of the gifts of having, uh, I have a 19-year-old son, our, our baby, um, is, is six, five and 19. And he's taken to wanting to watch old movies with us. And so we recently watched little miss sunshine. Has anybody seen that movie? And if you haven't seen little miss sunshine in a while, you should go back and watch it. It's fantastic. Um, and I'm not going to get into the plot. What I am going to say is that they have this Volkswagen microbus and, uh, it, it begins to break and they discover the only way they can drive it is to get it into third gear. So it means that everywhere they go, they have to park on a hill to get it rolling. And if they don't park on it, which is quite hard to do, you have to always be thinking about where you're going to park. And if they don't, they all have to get out and push the bus to get it rolling so they can pop it into third. And then they drag one another into the car as it's rolling down the hill. That's the way some of us try to live obedience apart from the life and the power of the Holy Spirit. It can work, but it's not the way it was meant to be. When Jesus calls us to obedience, when he calls his scared, confused, discouraged, disoriented friends to obedience, he immediately begins to speak to them about the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power and life of God. The third person of the Trinity is how we live our love. All of us are called to live out our love, but we cannot do that in our own strength. If we try to do it in our own strength, we get a kind of grim, hold on for dear life, soldier your way through things kind of spirituality. And it's just not very fun and it's not very compelling. And so Jesus begins to speak to his friends after speaking them, to them about the love of God and about obedience to God and about obeying the commands of God, he begins to speak to them about the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say to you, I believe that we have some work to do in opening ourselves up to the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus seems to believe that the Holy Spirit is essential for you and me to live the kind of life that God has called us to live. So we're going to look at some stuff Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. Number one, he calls the Holy Spirit another counselor. And this is actually really important because, and that's the first movement. You can put the slide up. Um, When Jesus says another counselor, he, he doesn't mean there's one and there's another. The word in the Greek language means another of the same kind. So when he says another counselor, what Jesus is saying to his friends is this, you know me, you trust me, you love me, you can know, trust, and love the Holy Spirit. They're the same substance of the same essence. And this is really important for us, especially those of us who have an underfunded understanding of the Holy Spirit. I mean, for many of us, the Holy Spirit is just sort of this 
part of the Holy Trinity, but we don't quite know what the Spirit does. You know, a lot of us, um, when we think of the Holy Spirit, we, we think of like, you know, kooky televangelists on TV and people with rhinestone suits and swirly hair that are coming after your money. And we think, well, is that what the Holy Spirit's about? And so a lot of us know the Spirit is a part of the Trinity, but we're not really sure what that should be like or why we need that. And I just want to say to you today that Jesus says, if you like me, you will like the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is doing in this moment before he goes to the cross is he's building a case for trust. He's saying, I want you to know that it's actually good for you that I go. For if I don't go, another gospel says, the Spirit won't and can't come. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit are of the same kind. They're of the same kind. If we trust Jesus, and I talk to Christians all the time. This is literally my job. Um, and I hear a lot of Christians, especially in the West, say, I, 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 Jesus, yes. I like Jesus. But a lot of times we struggle with the Father because we have broken fathers. We come from broken systems. We, we see fathers in ways that make us feel trafficy, And then the Holy Spirit is just so far out there, we don't even know what to do. So I just want to say that if you're one of those people, Jesus is saying to you, if you trust me, you can trust the Holy Spirit. We are, Jesus says, of the same kind, of the same substance. The second thing Jesus says about the Holy Spirit is that there is an inner abiding that happens with regard to the Holy Spirit. And I think this is actually really important because we were made to feel our hearts connected to our faith. And this is something that we, I think, have some work to do uh, with regard to our own spiritual worldviews because we live in a world that is like post-enlightenment rationalism where we, if we're not careful, we'll think that faith is primarily just about what you think. And what you think is actually really important. I mean, we, we, you're not supposed to check your brain at the door as a Christian. Like, we need to think good and true and deep thoughts about God, but it can't end there. We're not just brains on a stick. Jamie Smith, a philosopher at Calvin College, says humans are not primarily thinking things. Uh, I have some news for you. Christianity comes from the root ball of Judaism, and so Judaism and Christianity at their core are feeling religions. They're deep feeling religions. And when Jesus speaks to Christians, specifically when he speaks to his confused, frightened, disoriented friends, what he says to them after you can trust the Holy Spirit is he says the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father will move in and make home with you. They'll abide with you. They will be in you. Y'all, our faith experience is meant to be an experience of God being near to us in a way that, in the words of John Wesley, warms our hearts. This is not just about us thinking. It's about moving into the deep places of our hearts and this idea of an inner abiding speaks to us of the fact that God wants to be near to you in a way that you are able to experience, which means we have to get in touch with our feelings. It just means that your faith can't purely be dogma, dogma rational. You've got to move into deep places and open ourselves up to our feelings. And I say that to you, I don't really care what your Myers-Briggs profile is. This is a feeling. There are feeling parts of your faith. 
And when Jesus speaks to the Holy Spirit, he talks to us about this idea that we are uh, called by God to open ourselves up to an experience of what the Holy Spirit has to offer. And that leads me to the third thing. We as Christians, according to Jesus and Paul, are called to actively welcome the Holy Spirit. Uh, When I was a kid, uh, I had a Garfield lunchbox and loved it. And the lunchbox was my favorite because it taught me the only thing that I remember from biology. It had a picture of Garfield with a stack of school books on his head. And then under it, it said, I am learning by osmosis. (laughs) And I learned that that was actually not accurate because osmosis is the passage of water through a semi-permeable membrane. Thank you very much. And Nate, our executive pastor slash physician, Nate, can you confirm that that is in fact what that is right? So I'm correct about that. I have a different kind of doctorate, but I know what osmosis is because I remember asking when I saw my lunchbox, what's osmosis? And then I realized, I don't know that the water thing was really working in the Garfield image, but here's what we do sometimes. We think sort of like Garfield that if God wants to get it in us, he'll just get it in us. And we just cross our arms and we just think, well, you know, Holy Spirit knows where to find me. And we do this for all kinds of reasons. Like we we don't know exactly what it is that he does. Holy Spirit's like the weird uncle at your family reunion. You know, you know, you're related, but you're a little uncomfortable and don't want to get super close sometimes. And people like Benny Hinn only make it worse. And so you just think, well, if he wants to get me, here I am. Osmosis. But Paul, Paul and Jesus tell us, and this is connected to the first thing, Jesus is making an argument for trust. He's saying, if you trust me, you can trust the Holy Spirit. And then we're told to actively pursue. So not like an arms crossed, you know where to find me if you want me, but an eagerly desire to seek the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus says, how many of you fathers... Even if you're wicked, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more will the Holy, will the father give the Holy spirit to those who ask? We're meant to be askers, seekers, knockers open. And I just want to say this, the Holy spirit's not going to kick our doors down. Some have referred to the Holy spirit as the shy person of the Trinity. For those of you in the room that are introverts, the Holy spirit's your person. Uh, the language around the Holy Spirit and in some uh, ancient languages is gender neutral and in others is feminine. Together, men and women together look like God. Together, you're an image bearer. Men and women together. The Holy Spirit, the Irish called the Holy Spirit a wild goose. You ever heard that phrase, a wild goose chase? Wild geese are elusive. They're beautiful. I've got one tattooed on the inside of my arm to remind me that if I don't shut up and quiet myself and make space, I'll miss so much. Some of you are in such a hurry. You're making so much noise as you walk through this world. And I don't say that to shame you because I'm right there. The Holy Spirit, the way we actively welcome is to quiet our hearts and our minds on a regular basis and pray the most ancient prayer of the church. 
Come Holy Spirit. Three words. It's one of the most ancient written liturgies of the, of the Christian church. Come Holy Spirit. If you're in a hurry, if you're bombarded with noise and hurry and worry and crowds, the invitation is to step back and begin to carve out some quiet places and explicitly invite the Holy Spirit into your daily existence. It is my conviction that we miss so much of what God has for us because we never think to seek and ask. So I'm going to tell you, give you an, an analogy. And before I give you the analogy, I'm just going to tell you all analogies break down. That's the thing about analogies. Uh, so, so just catch what I can give you, but don't be weird about it. <laughs> so imagine that you buy a car. And in the car, there is a tire jack. But when you buy the car, you have four good tires and you just drive along totally oblivious to the fact that there's a tire jack in the trunk. It's not until you need the tire jack that you go looking for the tire jack. And when you go looking, you realize you had the tire jack all along. In that sense, the Holy Spirit is like a tire jack. This is why Paul says eagerly desire. When you become a Christian, you don't get two-thirds of God. You don't get Father, Son, and then have to get the Holy Spirit later. However, in your Christian life, there are seasons where it would behoove you to look in the trunk and find out what's actually yours. That's why we're told to actively welcome and seek the Holy Spirit, because God wants you to have access to everything that is in the car, and maybe some of us are stuck right now. Maybe some of us are hurting right now. It's time for you to look in the trunk and begin to ask the Holy Spirit to move into places where you need him to move into. The fourth thing we see here is that the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, will be with us forever. He actually says, I will give you another advocate who will be with us forever. He also says, I will not leave you orphaned. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to remind us that we are not alone I just read an article, I think it was in the Atlantic. Uh, I, I, I know there was a, a, a podcast episode recently on On Being with Krista Tippett uh, with, I think it was the Surgeon General who said that America right now is at a, a, a more lonely time than we've ever been. That there's a, 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 an epidemic of loneliness. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to speak to us when we feel alone and cut off and remind us that we're not alone. We are with God. God is nearer to you than you could imagine. And if you are anything like me, you need that reminder. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to do the job that the Spirit has come to do. One of those jobs is to remind us that we're not alone. The next thing that Jesus says is that together with the Holy Spirit... He and the Father will make their home with us. I love this idea. Jesus says, those who love me will keep my word and my Father will love them. And listen to this. And we will come to them and make our home with them. When I think of this idea of home, true home, uh, it's, it's a place of rest. It's a place of security. It's a place of peace. Who among us is not looking for rest for our souls? security, peace. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to make a home in you. I've had to live this. This has been for me where the rubber has met the road over the last couple of years. 
being more explicit, starting my day now, almost every day. I mean, there are some days where I just read Bleacher Report. Um, most days, though, I'm, I say to the Lord, come Holy Spirit, and I think about the places where I feel churned up, where I don't feel settled, and I invite the Holy Spirit explicitly to enter into those places. And so one of the things I want you to be thinking about is we're going we're gonna to reflect on this in a few moments, is where do you need a sense of home? Where are you craving peace and rest and security? What part of your life uh, needs that? And that's where we explicitly ask the Holy Spirit to come into that place. It might be something concerning one of your kids. It might be grief over the recent loss of a parent. It may be division or strife in a relationship. Where do we need peace, home, shalom, as the Jews would say? The Holy Spirit actually wants us to ask for help there. It's actually my conviction that we pray vague prayers and we get vague answers. I think sometimes we need to be more explicit, more bold in our praying. And there's a risk associated with that, but I believe that's a risk worth taking. Home. Our first core commitment is to experience the love of God and life in the Holy Spirit. It's one of our, it's the animating commitment of this church. And without the life of the Spirit, we won't know the love of God. Home is all about love. It's all about knowing that you're not on your own. And finally, the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, is the Spirit of truth. Do you remember that moment when the disciples were rowing on the, on the boat uh, out in the water and there was a storm and Jesus was walking out on the water and they didn't see him? Uh, I've thought about that often uh, because the disciples in this moment are uh, confused. And when you're confused, you end up losing perspective. So for the disciples, it was like literally tunnel vision. They just were like, we can see the problem and the work. And then Jesus is outside their field of vision. When the disciples were struggling, when they were afraid, when they were confused, Jesus said to them, I have said more to you than you can hold, but the Holy Spirit will remind you of what I have spoken. When we find ourselves in seasons of trouble or loss or grief, we forget things that years before were crystal clear. Some of you today have lost touch with some stuff that you knew was true. You used to know it, and now you don't. It's the nature of people like us to, to lose perspective. Jesus says the Holy Spirit expands our perspective, reminds us. So a regular prayer I pray is, Holy Spirit, remind me what's true. Remind me of that which I knew on the mountaintop when I'm struggling in the valley. Like, teach me, remind me. But we have to ask the Spirit to do these things. We have to be courageous about inviting the Spirit. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to spend a couple of moments in quiet, and I want you to hold uh, these questions. Um, where, do you where do you desire to experience home in this season of your life? So thinking about home as a place of rest and peace and security. Maybe it's in a hurt or a relationship. I want to encourage you to invite the Spirit into that part right now, like in the quiet of this moment. We're going to spend just a few moments. There's not enough time to do this adequately, but we can start. Where do you need some home? Let's say, Holy Spirit, come into that relationship. Come into that place of hurt. Come into that place of discouragement. Let's be as explicit as we can in silent prayer. 
And then I'll come up in a few moments and we'll, we'll come to the communion table. But first, let's be still and hold this, I think, really important question.